So today we are continuing in the series, The Foundation of Truth. And the title of this message is Love One Another, and we are on part 4. Today I'd like us to turn to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to spend some time in Philippians chapter 2, between verses 2 and 8. So go to verse 2. I'm going to start reading. And this again is the Apostle Paul writing to to, to the saints. Verse 2, he says, Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming into the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I'm going to stop there. There are a couple of things I want to point out here. He says, Paul said in verse 2, Be like-minded, having the same love. Be like-minded, having the same love, Being of one accord with one mind. He's saying be one. Be united in the way you think. He's not saying to be robots. He's not saying to be clones. Because we are not robots. We are not clones. What he's saying here. Do what is best to edify and mature the body of Christ. Have the same mind. The same attitude as Christ. We don't all have the same background of of bringing. But there is richness in each one of us that we can bring to the table to edify and encourage each other in the faith. With that richness, as we put on the mind of Christ, God will use that to edify the body and edify each other. Nothing that we do must be done through selfish ambition. We must not do anything to promote our own agenda and anything conceited or have full pride in our own selves, in our own ability. Nothing must be done through selfish ambition and through conceit. We mustn't manipulate, we mustn't lie, we mustn't do anything to promote our own agenda or to build ourselves up. To make ourselves prideful. Everything we do and say must point to Christ. To edify each other and edify the body. To help us to grow in Christ. This is not about our own agenda. This is not about our own will. The same mind of Christ. And I'll talk more about it as we go to verse 5. Because Paul used Christ as the example. Okay? So I'm going to turn to something that We're all familiar with, and I talked about this weeks and weeks ago, social media. 
Why are we posting what we are posting? I am seeing, I'm not talking about the people on this line. I'm talking about other people I know who are Christians. And I'm seeing things posted on social media that I know is causing division. I know it's causing, let me, help, let me say it in a nice way. I know it's causing other believers to get upset. Why are we posting what, uh, what we are posting? When it clearly says here in the scriptures, Paul is saying, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Have the same love. Being in one accord. Why are we posting things that are causing division? I read from last week, it says, those who cause division, is an, they are an abomination to God. That sow discord between the brethren. We have to pray for our we have to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Because it says here, don't do anything through selfish ambition and conceit. What I see some posting, they're trying to promote their own agenda. This is not the agenda of Christ. They think they are trying to promote the agenda of Christ. But they are not. Because whatever Christ did and whatever he said was to glorify the Father. And whatever we say and do has to glorify Christ. And what did Jesus say? Love one another as I have loved you. So that the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Why are we putting things on social media that's causing division? Are my beliefs and my personal belief and my personal stand more important than the cause of Christ? Is that more important than unity of the faith? Is that more important than encouraging my brothers and sisters in Christ? I mustn't do or say anything that's going to cause them to stumble. I must not do anything or say anything that's going to cause them to walk away from the faith. That's going to cause them harm to their whole, to their spirit. My stand or my belief, what I think is right, cannot be at the expense of others. It cannot be. What am I going to tell Jesus when I come face to face with him? What am I going to tell him? That my stand was more important? I don't want him to say, away with you, unprofitable servant. Because the Bible clearly says, Jesus says, many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, we did that in your name. And he would say, what? I never knew you. Why? Because you weren't walking in love. You were on your own agenda. You were walk, doing your own thing. Thinking that you are serving me. But you weren't serving me. You were serving your own agenda. We have to be very careful. You know, before we post anything, you got to think, you got to sit back and think, you know, for a good five, ten minutes. Is it, is it worth posting this thing? Was it, what is it doing to the body? What is, what is it going to do to my brother or sister who is weak in the faith? What is, how is it going to affect them? What will they learn or take away from what I post on social media? Is it going to cause them to grow in Christ? And is it going to cause them to know what the will of the Lord is for their life? 
This is the, these are the questions we have to ask ourselves. This is these are the questions I ask myself. I see people post some things sometimes, and I'm like, nope, leave it alone. Don't go, don't get in it, don't get into it with the, with them. Leave it alone. And I pray for them. I say, Lord, please reveal, open their eyes, so that they can know and see the truth. Because I can't go tit for tat. I have to let the Lord lead me. We have to let the Spirit lead us. We cannot do things out of anger. We cannot do things out of haste. We have to think. We have to say, Lord, this is what I'm seeing. What do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Because the commandment I have from you, Lord, is to love my brethren. Don't do anything to cause division. This is, this is, this is the will of God for my life. And this is the will of God for all of our lives. All of us, our lives. All of us who call Jesus Lord. This is the will for our lives. So now we can't say we never knew what the will for our lives is. The will for our lives is to edify each other. Edify your brother. Don't cut them down. Don't do anything that's going to cause them to stumble and walk away from the faith. The word of God says, in the last days, many will walk away from the faith. Why is that? Why does that happen? Because there are others who are so stuck in their own beliefs that they're saying and doing things that cause others to stumble. That's why people say, you know what? These people are a bunch of hypocrites. I want nothing to do with the Lord. I want nothing to do with the church. I want nothing to do with these people. Because you're not walking in love. Then what are we going to tell Jesus? What is the excuse we're going to come up with? We have no excuses. Why? Because we put the, our own needs before the needs of our own brother. Or sister. So ask yourself the question. Is what I'm posting or responding to edifying the saints? Does it promote unity in the body? Does it cause, or does it cause division? What will they learn or take away from my posting? What are they going to take away? What is it? Is that what they're going to take away? Is it going to cause them to grow in Christ? Is it going to cause them to know the will of the Lord for their lives? What is the takeaway from what they read on social media? Is it edifying them? Is it causing them to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might? Is it causing them to say, Lord, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Great is He that is in me than He that is in this world. I am more than a conqueror through Him who loved me. Is it causing them to say these things? Is it causing them to remember and rehearse the things of God, the promises of God in their lives? Or is it causing them to say, I mean, these people are hypocrites. They're this, they're that. They're, and start ex expletives. Is, it, is that what we want? No, that's not what we want. There are no excuses. Nothing must be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing. Nothing means nothing. Nada. Nothing must be done. Trying to promote your own agenda. And I mean, these are Christians who I've known for years. Love the Lord. I know they love Jesus. I know they love Jesus. But I am seeing things. People are not thinking about what they're doing. They're not thinking of the consequences. 
and how it's affecting the body. The scripture also says here, in verse 3, In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do you hear that? In lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Esteem means what? To regard as one held in a high, like high esteem. To regard someone, to hold someone up. It's a esteem others. Hold others up better than you will hold up your own self. My God. Esteem others better than yourself. So if you really walking in love, and you really esteeming others better than yourself. You would not post anything that's going to cause harm to people and cause division. You won't do it. Because you are considering the, 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 the faith. You are considering where these people are in their walk in Christ. You are considering that above your own beliefs and agenda. You put in the needs of others before your own. So that's why he said esteem others better than your own self. That's what he's saying here. Don't only look out for yourself, but also for the interests of others. That's what he said in verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what he's saying. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ. Now in verse 2 he said, let be like-minded. Have the same love being in one accord of the one mind. And this is the mind he's talking about here in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the mind he's talking about. You have the same, this, have the same attitude that Jesus had. And this is what he's saying here. Being in the form of God, he did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This is what it's saying. The man Jesus, the human being man Jesus, the spirit came directly from God impregnated Mary who gave this man Jesus his physical body. So the spirit that gives this body life came directly from God. The body came from Mary. So the man Jesus is also God because he didn't come from man. He came from God himself. So he's God walking in human, in human form. God also in heaven also on earth also a present by his spirit. So God is not confined. But the man Jesus, God in the flesh, confined himself on purpose as a man. So he came in the form of his own creation, man. So that means God lowered himself. The creator came in the form of his own creation. That's humility. The one who spoke the worlds into existence, the one who created through oh, through whom all things were created, if you go in John and read John chapter 1, you will see that, came in the form of his own creation. And he didn't come as an emperor, he didn't come as a king, he came as a servant. 
He came, he didn't come as a rich man. He came as a servant, not to, even to do his will, to do the will of the one who sent him. So he further humbled himself. So he came in the form of his recreation, which is humbling yourself, because he made himself lower than the angels who he also created. He came to serve, do the Father's will, and to serve man. Oh my God. Came to serve fallen man, sinful man, who didn't care about him. How did he fulfill it? He revealed the Father, did what the Father required of him, and then went to the cross to die for sinful man who didn't care about him. That's how he served man. He served man by making a way where man can be redeemed to the Father, reconciled to the Father through his sacrifice. That's how he served man. Man who didn't deserve it. Sinful man who didn't, who didn't deserve mercy got mercy. They didn't need, they didn't, they didn't deserve compassion, but they got compassion. Why? Because in faith through him, what he has done allows man to come before Father in his righteousness. We have no righteousness of our own. We have no right to come before the throne of God on our own. It's only because of what Jesus did. We can come before the, we have the right, the privilege to become, to come before the Father. We don't deserve it. We have no right. We can't be good enough. We can't be good looking enough. We can't be rich enough. We can't be poor enough. We can't be bad enough. Nothing we can do can make us deserving of coming before the throne of God. Nothing. There is nothing we can do. It's only because of what Christ's service, what he did, obeying the Father. Because he obeyed the Father and did the will of the Father, only because of that, when we receive and say yes to Jesus, what he has done, and receive that gift of salvation, only then and then can we go before the Father in his righteousness. We had nothing to do with it. All we had to do was believe. So he came as a man. He came in human form. And he had to do that. He came as a servant. He didn't come to, to be served. He came to serve. But when he comes back, he will be served. Because every knee is going to bow and worship him. Even those in hell are going to bow and worship him. Why? Because they, knew his, they know who he is. And if you go back and read in some of the, the, the Gospels. When Jesus appeared, any time the demoniac saw came in his presence, they acknowledged who he was. They had to bow in his presence. They had to ask his permission. Oh my God. They understood. They know who he is. That's why the Bible says, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yes, even the demons in hell, they will acknowledge his lordship. They already know. As we are the ones who are blind and need to see the revelation of who we are in Christ and what Jesus did for us. We are not mere men and women. We are royalty. We are royalty. We are sons of God. We are priests and kings to God. Not because we, of anything we did, because of what Jesus did. Because of what he did, we can say we are sons of God. We are children of God. We are children of the light. He came in humility to do the will of the Father. He came to reveal the Father. Because in the Old Testament, people didn't know God. They saw the fire. They saw the smoke. 
They saw the, the river, the, the, the river part. People got swallowed. Fire consume and kill people. Earth open up. Earthquakes swallow people. The noise in the mountain, the smoke. That's all they knew of God. But there are few through history who had an intimate intimacy with God. Abraham, Moses, all these people had intimacy with God. But we have something even better. Now God is living in us by His Spirit. Through Christ. Oh my God. It's even better than what they had. And we don't even know it. We have a better covenant than what they had. So the Father revealed Himself through the Son. And Jesus went to the cross to, to fulfill the Father's plan and promise. Why? Because Jesus was in the beginning. He knew it. He came already knowing what he had to do. Because he was in the beginning when the plan was, was determined. How man was going to be redeemed. Abraham and those coming. Even when God created. Before God created anything. The plan in eternity was already set. And that God set time and space to execute that plan. And it's been unfolded now in time and space. And what is that plan? The plan is that God will have sons. When I say sons, spiritual sons, which it doesn't mean male. It could be male or female because he's the father of our spirits and our spirits don't have a gender. It's only our flesh has gender. Our spirit has no gender. Okay? So God, he's a, that's a plan before the foundation of the world that he would have sons. He would redeem man. Okay? So he revealed himself and that, and that redemption came through Christ going to the cross. Christ came to reveal himself. He also came so he can in the form of man, so he can understand what we are going through as human beings. So he died, he resurrected, seated at the right hand as our high priest and intercessor, because now he knows what we what we are going through, because he was like us in his form of his own creation. So we don't have a high priest. Well, we don't have a Lord who doesn't understand that what we are going through. So when he says, love one another as I have loved you, he didn't leave us on our own to do it. He gave us his spirit to do it. He went to the cross to make it possible. Because when he, when he told the disciples this, love, a new commandment I gave you, that you love one another as I have loved you, they didn't have the capacity to do that at the time. It's after he went on the cross and resurrected and sent his spirit, then they had the capacity to do it. Why? Because it's not... It's not like the second commandment. Love the neighbor as you love yourself. This is a new commandment where you need the Spirit of God to be able to execute that kind of love. You can't do it in your own strength. Glory to God. I hope you're getting this. He went to the cross to make it possible so that we can love one another as I have loved you. So we can execute that commandment. That's why he said a new commandment I give you. But then he went to the cross to give us the capacity, the grace to do it. Because he knew they can't, you can't, you guys can't love each other the way I love you in your own strength. You need my spirit to do it. That's why at verse 5 he said, he said, let this mind be in you. What mind is that? The mind of the, of Christ to do the will of the Father. To sacrifice his self to do the Father's will. And as we, the only way we are going to be able to love one another the way He commanded, we have to sacrifice ourselves to do things His way. To do things according to the way He directed us by the Spirit. The same way He came 
and gave his life. When I say gave his life, I don't mean only his death, but his physical life, his being. He came to serve the Father, putting aside his agenda to do the Father's will. So when he did that, he did the will of the Father. He said, whatever I say and do, it's not me. It's the Father in me doing, saying these things and doing these things. So what I say and do is just. It's not me. It's the Father in me doing these things and saying these things. So he relinquished himself to the Father. So the Father can express himself through him. And we have to do the same way. As we put on, as we transform and put on this new man, we are saying yes to Jesus. Lord, your will be done in our lives. So we learn to walk by faith and do his will and not our own. So when you go to social media, you won't do your will. You will do his will. This life in Christ is not, is not some fictitious thing. It's not you go and you have religion one minute and you go do your your, <clears throat> do your own thing the next minute. No, there is a, a realistic application of this thing to our lives. How we live, how we walk, how we talk, how we conduct ourselves. There is a realistic application to this. So let this mind be in you which is also in Christ. He did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. And he humbled himself to do the Father's will. This is how we have to walk in humility. Yes, we have the right. I have the right to do a lot of things because I know I have freedom in Christ. But because I love Him, I won't do what I know I can do. Or I want to do. Why? Because I know the restraints of His love. I don't want to do it because I want to please Him. You see, that is power in check. Oh my God. If you understand what I'm telling you. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He can do whatever He wants, but He won't do it. Because he made, he made a promise. And He won't break His own word. He gave man a choice. He said, choose life or death. He gave man, a human beings, a choice. He will never usurp the choice of a human being. He can do it, but He won't. Because He won't go against His own word. Do you understand? God is all-powerful, that, but that is His power in check. Because he made a promise and he won't break his promise. So people say, why doesn't God do this? Why doesn't God do that? Because he, he, promised, he made a promise. He can't break his own word. If he goes against the, the, the decision of, uh, decisions of men, he's going against his own word. And he won't, he won't ever do it. He won't, God won't do it. He never will do it. Alright, so in Hebrews chapter 2, the word of God says, <clears throat> looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endure, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Listen, you meditate on that. There is so much in that. And a lot of what I said, focus on that. Looking unto Jesus, who has this mind? What mind is that? To do the will of the Father. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the one who wrote the script. And the one who bring it to pass. He knows our beginning and our end. That's in a nutshell what that's saying. The joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and despised the shame. He came knowing he had to go to the cross. Knowing he had to die. To bring to pass 
all the things that he was teaching the disciples and all the things he said. But because he knew the outcome, he endured the cross and put up with the, with the, the beatings and the embarrassment and the spitting. They spat on him. They stuck him with the, with the, with the spear. He put up with all of it. He went to the cross because he knew the outcome. He knew the outcome of what he was doing. It says for the joy that was set before him. He was there in the beginning when the father said that he was going to have son. He's going to redeem man. And he said the only way that this redemptive plan can come into play. I have to go to the cross. He knew that there was going to be a generation of people. Called out, called the ecclesia, the church, who are going to be redeemed, have such fellowship with God, able to come to before God in, in His righteousness. That's why he said, for the joy that was set before him, he was able to endure the cross and despise the shame. Why? Because he knew the outcome and he knew this was the plan of his father being fulfilled. And the only way it was going to happen, he had to go to the cross. And he did it willingly. To bring to pass what was already planned in the beginning and now executed in time and space when he went to the cross. And now, fulfilling that, he sat down, he's now seated at the right hand of the Father in a position of authority. And we in him, we are in him, seated in heavenly places through Christ. We are also in Him, seated at the right hand of the Father, if you are abiding in Him. Does that tell you where we are positionally, spiritually in Christ? We are at the throne of grace. And what did we do to deserve it? Nothing. All we did was believe. But as we are on this earth, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. So that the world will know that you are my disciples. What? Students learning a discipline to be like Christ. Who? The prototype. The one, the forerunner. The firstborn of many brethren. He's the prototype. The one who, the firstborn of many to come who will be like him. My God. He's the prototype. He is the blueprint. Of the heavenly man. Not the earthly man Adam. As I touched on a couple of weeks ago. He's the blueprint of the heavenly. Okay. So we're all being conformed into that image. So Jesus knew the outcome of it and benefit of his sacrifice. That why. That's why he endured the, the beatings. The ridicule. The suffering. And ultimately gave his life. He was in the beginning. He knew the plan. So as Paul said. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Have the same mind. What mind? The mind of Christ. Have the same love. Being in one accord. We're not, as I said, we're not clones. But let your attitude be, what can I do to show my love to my brother or my sister? What can I do to benefit them, to help them, to help them grow in Christ? And he gave the example of Christ, what Jesus did. He knew the outcome and, and submitted to the Father's will. That's what Jesus did. This is the mind we must have to put the needs of others before on our own. To treat others better than we treat ourselves. Because that's what he did. We have the same, have the same mind. Choose to submit to his will. Okay? Serve, obey God, obey Christ, and serve 
people. That is the will of the Lord for us. If you're wondering what the will of the Lord is for your life, that is the will of the Lord for your life. Obey God and serve people. Walk in love. Walk in humility. Forgive. Bless. Don't curse people. Don't cuss them out. Don't lie about lie on people. Forgive. Have compassion. Show mercy. That is the will of God for our lives. Alright. So I'm going to stop there today. And I really hope you receive something today. In Jesus' name.